on the air podcast. My name is Brandon Protus and I am a strategy director here at Complete College America. Today on CC on the air, we are speaking with Dr. Angie Piccioni. She is the executive director of the Colorado Department of Higher Education. And we will be discussing Pathway to Affordability. This is the 2021 annual report on dual and concurrent enrollment. And we wanna talk about the impact of these programs in Colorado. Just a note to our listeners, we're going to be using the term dual enrollment. Um, There are lots of terms as well as multiple terms used within Colorado. They have some nuanced differences, but we're going to be talking overall generally about high school students who are taking college classes, regardless of the campus location or who that instructor is. So I just want to make sure everyone's aware of that. So starting with that, Angie, could you maybe talk about some of the highlights of this report regarding the increases in participation overall, and then specifically for racially minoritized students? Yes, uh, and thank you for inviting me to to join you on this podcast, and uh, hope that all of the audio works well. I I will say I am sitting outside, so you may hear some wind. But um, yes, in Colorado, we're very pleased that we had an increase in this past year, and especially because of the year that we all have had across the country. We had more than 53,000 students who took at least one dual enrollment course um, during the 1920 academic year. So that was just as um, we were heading into spring break when COVID hit in Colorado. Um, It was an increase of nearly almost 3,000 students. So that's a big number when we consider what the conditions were like then. Um, We had about a 5.6% jump in dual enrollment participation overall. So we are, we are pleased that in Colorado, nearly 40% of our high school students take some kind of a dual enrollment course. It is a big goal of the governor. The governor wants to see that go up to even 100%, that every single high school student is taking some course that could give them some college credit. Thank you. You know, one of the things I was really struck with as I read through uh, this annual report, and it is wonderful. So for our listeners, I highly recommend you take a look at it is it opens with the sentence, all students who are ready should have the opportunity to earn free transferable college credits in high school, including an associate degree or skill certification. And then later it states, dual enrollment not only saves the students time and money, but also helps remedy the deep rooted inequities across our state. So as you know, Complete College America, we are an equity focused organization. It is in everything that we do. It is not an afterthought. So I'm curious what this means to you and uh, how this drives the work in your state. Really thinking about that expanded view of post-secondary education and that role of equity. Yes, thank you for that. That's a big, um, it's a big goal for the state. We have the second highest in terms of states, the second highest uh, completion rate, attainment rate, credential attainment rate behind Massachusetts. Um, And yet at the same time, we also have in some categories, the greatest um, equity gap in terms of who is actually completing these credentials. Now for concurrent enrollment, you had asked a question around around our uh, the, the breakdown of demographics and we did have an increase in every single demographic area. So our um, Hispanic or Latinx students, 18.4% increase, um, almost a 16% increase among our American Indian or Native Alaska Native students, um, around 
23% from African-American or black students, 33% uh, among Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders. So we have seen an, an incredible increase. What that does for us is that it gives these students confidence that they can take and succeed in taking a college level course. Oftentimes, some of these students are also first generation students. And so they don't have the, the environment perhaps that says, hey, I did it, you can do it. And so they are first in the family. And so to get some early success helps them not only in terms of saving money because of the college credit, but also gaining the confidence that they can do it. And so this is really a big feature for us in terms of helping to close that equity gap. I really appreciate how you framed it with, on the one hand, Colorado has amazing college attainment rates as a state, but if you look at that alone, you're, you're really missing something much larger. And I know in the state, there was sometimes talk about importing our own. And that narrative actually went away when it was actually, no, that's not the issue. The issue is when we look around equity and our racially minoritized students. So I really appreciate your focus there. So there have been these incredible gains for black and Latinx students. Um, but their participation along with those of indigenous students is still lower than you would like to see from that equity perspective. I'm curious what steps should be considered to address this. Yeah, and so, you know, one of the things that I'm finding, I've been in the job now just over two and a half years, and, uh, but I was a professor at Colorado State University and I was a high school teacher at Smoky Hill High School in the Cherry Creek District. And so I've seen it from, from many angles. And, I think one of the things that, that we really lack in Colorado is a platform to really get the word out. So how students come to know about concurrent enrollment is typically through the school counselor, school counselor who has an exorbitant caseload. And so how do we make sure that all students are aware that they are eligible to take a dual enrollment course? And so that's a, that's a big one. We do have a platform called My Colorado Journey which is, um, we used to have college in Colorado, but then those federal funds went away. So we replaced it with something even better. It's called My Colorado Journey, and you can find it at mycoloradojourney.com. And it's a, it's a help, it's a guide to help students navigate between high school and anything post-secondary, and even to help it, uh, adults past high school, past college, to navigate a new career. And so we have lots of resources on there, um, and one of those is to help them to at least introduce students to the fact that it's not just AP and IB, which I'm a big fan of, but it's also other kinds of courses that you can take that will give you the competencies that are necessary, the confidence that's necessary, and often the credit that'll get you toward a credential. Now, some of the listeners out there might know that in my past life, I actually ran a concurrent enrollment program in Colorado, and I'm very proud of that work. And so one of the things that I would do is when we were doing orientations with students, I would sort of uh, play this game a little bit of like, hey, sometimes I get pushback, right? And you're, I'm going to have people say to me, these are high school students, they shouldn't be taking college classes, they should be in high school. How can I show them? How can I prove to them that we should be doing this? And um, really was a lead in to be able to talk about the success rates and, and they would get there and then I would talk about that. So um, I'm really thinking for our listeners out there, if, if they could hear about those success rates, what does that look like for those high school students we're taking that college coursework and those pass rates. What does that look like in Colorado? Yeah, so it's been very, very successful. 93% of the courses that were taken were passed. That's, that's remarkable when we think about how many credit hours have been for concurrent enrollment. We have, um, we have about 340,000 credit hours and 93% of those were passed. And so it, it, again, it helps to instill that confidence, but it also helps students who do have issues around affordability. And so um, I do have a good friend of mine though, who said, and she has seven children. And she said, 
She does not want her children to take any college courses because they should have the high school experience first. And then when they get to high school, they'll, I mean, to college, they'll have plenty of opportunity to take college courses. That's not the case for all families. And so we have early colleges here in Colorado and many of the states do where students can actually complete a high school diploma and an associate's degree within the same time frame. And so um, again, our governor is a, is a education first kind of a governor. And so he would like to see even more of those. He would love to see every single high school student graduating with a certificate or with a, a credential. And so this is the push, this is the vision. And so, um, and we have proven that they can be successful. It's not for every student, we agree, but the students who want and who are eligible to and who wanna even give it a try, they can. And that's the thing is we wanna make it as available as possible. And we need to make sure all students know that they can do that. If, they, if that's what they and their families wanna see them do. You know, it makes me think some of your comments. JFF just released a paper, Joel Vargas did, talking about blurring the lines between high school and college and career. And we're seeing more and more of that. And when you when you say high school students passing their college courses at a 93% pass rate, I mean, that is amazing. And I will tell you, when mm -hmm. I was running a concurrent enrollment program, we went through the NASEP accreditation program, so National Alliance of Concurrent Enrollment Partnerships. Mm -hmm. And we had to prove that, because the other thing you'll get is, are these really college courses? We had to yeah. prove that it was the exact same college course on the high school, for high school students as for the regular students. And we had to submit papers redacted by names where you couldn't tell which assignment came from the high school student, which came from the traditional college student. So what that says, 93% pass in many cases, that's a higher pass rate than what you see as the college as well. So this program works. Yeah, now, it is remarkable, though. I will say that 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 there there are skeptics who will say who say those things. Um, but all of the studies that have been done to show the equivalency of the high school concurrent enrollment course and the actual college course, they're the same thing. And so, um, but it is impressive that our high school students can elevate their game, so to speak, when they are asked to, that they will elevate it to the same measure as the college student doing. And so um, I was, I have to say, I, I, if I may, I was a bit skeptical about it as well. Um, I am a big supporter of AP and IB. In fact, the first bill that I got passed when I was a legislator was around giving um, IB diploma graduates college credit. Um, and so, um, but there's a rigor attached to that that I wasn't sure that they had in concurrent enrollment, but I'm a believer now, and especially because we've done, we partnered with some research institutes to really look at and break down um, demographically um, how well are students succeeding, and they are. So, and the you know, to, in the numbers. two editorial notes I'll say to that one is the power for first generation students, our black and brown students who experience college for the first time, who whatever message they may or may not have received in the past, experience that success and then say, I can do this in the alignment from high school, preparing them for that college. And the other thing that I like about concurrent or dual enrollment, uh, credit dual enrollment is it's the college who is determining the curriculum. So it's not a third party who's saying this is equivalent of, there's no translation. It is, this is the college curriculum, same standards, instructors have to meet the same standards for hire. Mm -hmm. All of that's the same. So we talked about the pass rates, but we also know, and you sort of reference this, that there's lasting impacts for dual and concurrent enrollment students with their college trajectories. This is incredibly powerful, as I said, for first-generation students. Can you talk a little bit about those and how those were brought out in the report? Yeah, so we, this, our Department of Higher Ed partnered with the University of Colorado at Boulder, with the APA Consulting, and the Colorado Evaluation and Action Lab from the U.S. Department of Ed. Um, their Institute on Education Sciences, IES, and people are familiar with that. 
to study the impact of concurrent enrollment on college access and persistence and improving our understanding of concurrent enrollment um, as a driver for getting our, that one-time credential um, uh, completion rates. And so we were working on that. And the results show that students who attempted one or more dual enrollment, or we say in Colorado, our concurrent enrollment credits in high school were dramatically more likely to matriculate to college within one year, and of course, more likely to persist in college. And so we have the data that shows that this is an effective way to get students to the doorstep, if you will, of an institution, and then to actually complete, um, to matriculate and to be retained in those institutions. So it's a leading indicator really that if you take a concurrent enrollment, a dual enrollment course, the likelihood of you going increases and the likelihood of you persisting increases. And so that's why we wanna see more of it. And like it, it follows the national data, like you said, increased going directly in right after high school, increased per, uh, persistence, increased GPA rates, um, graduation rates. We see that all along. And what I love is that you validated this at the state level as well. And one of the other things that's talked about is that concurrent and dual enrollment reduce uh, the cost and time to degree. I mean, particularly powerful as we think about that can be a barrier for students. Um, so that potential cost savings, I know that's in this report as well, some of that work done by the University of Denver through their research. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we, we, we know that for, for, all, for all students, nearly all students need some aid, some assistance financially with going to college. If we can, through this program, if we can reduce that cost, especially for the first year, to give students not only the credit toward a degree, but to save on the expenses toward that degree, um, then they get started a, a little further ahead. So they have a line of sight toward completion, especially if we do that in the community college system where they then maybe only have one year or maybe one semester to go. And so again, in the same way that it builds confidence, it also reduces the cost. And that's I think that's, we know that the cost of going to college has gone up steadily over the last 20 years. And so the burden on families has been greater. Yes, we also put more money into student financial aid at the state level, but um, this is one way to be, to be ensured that you will gain the credits necessary toward your degree. We have had in the past too many students who needed remedial work. And so um, they would actually step off the high school campus, go to college, and then have to take too many remedial courses, which cost money, but those credits do not count toward a degree. And so then they would get discouraged and then they would stop out or drop out. In this way, if you can build up some of that credit while you're in high school toward a degree, then that just gives you more momentum toward actually finishing. And so we've you know, seen it be successful. Mm -hmm. I'll also say every state is different, but Colorado also has mm -hmm. the Ascent program. And what that does is essentially pays for a year of full-time college, sort of, which would be a 13th year of high school, where really if even you know, if you got 15 or 30 credits, that can get you all the way to a an associate's degree while you're still technically in high school. Um, I'd like to ask you about other yes. benefits of students who participate in the program um, in concurrent and dual enrollment, besides just maybe the the credits and, and time to degree that we're thinking of? Oh, yeah, so, so some of the other benefits, and it depends, well, there's, there's two, two ways that we do dual enrollment, right? You can do it actually on the college campus, or you can have educators that are in the high school who are qualified and certified to teach a college course doing it in the high school as well. 
So both of those actually are the benefit two different ways. One is if a student perhaps is mature enough and wants to test themselves, if you will, on the college campus and see what that environment is like, then they get to do that for some of those courses. And for some students, perhaps that might be a little bit too intimidating so they can still take it within their high school um, environment where they feel safer and they can be academically challenge themselves and, um, and, and gain that confidence, but not have to socially challenge themselves, if you will. Because I do have a concern about the social emotional development when you put a, let's say a junior in high school who might be, could be 16 years old and you put them into a, a class on a college campus with students who might be um, alternative um, uh, students who could be 26 years old. And is there something around the social emotional development piece that we need to protect? And so either way, um, I think it, there's benefits both ways on that. And of course, as we said, the financial benefit, the confidence benefit. So I, I don't see a lot of drawback to it, um, except that we have to make it more widely known um, how great this program is. You know, one of the other things I like with both the models, either at the high school or the college campus, and something that Melinda Karp, who's now with Phase Two Advisory, but before she was with CCERC, the Community College Research Center, talked about the non-academic pieces of college. And, you know, we see this with the new NASEP accreditation guidelines that were passed in 2017, is the college advising piece, the navigating college, the unwritten rules of um, the hidden curriculum around college. So it's not just how are you passing that individual class? Yes, that's a part of it. But understanding what are math pathways? What are guided pathways? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to even select a major? There's all this lingo. And so that provides an opportunity to be teaching this. And when I think about how do we you know, really tailor our work towards all students and then really specific students. When we think about a first-generation student, how do we teach those college-going behaviors? We can't just assume that those are there. What does it even mean to speak to a college advisor, right? That we can build those in when done right. Yes, and, and not even what does it mean to speak to a college advisor? What is it like to speak to a college professor? And so it's very different when you're in high school and you know your teachers because they're also um, you know, supervising sporting events or they are you know, the chaperone for the prom or you see them in the hallway and a college professor has some mystique, I think, around to it. And so how do you actually, how do you talk to a, a fellow student when you're in college? Um, and so those are, let me tell you, I, I, I'm a first generation student. I grew up in the South Bronx. I went to Stanford on a basketball scholarship. And that was a huge culture shock for me because there was a different cultural experience that many of the students who were there because their families could afford it, um, they grew up very differently than I grew up. And so you know, navigating that, it, it was very difficult. I have stories that I could tell you and um, Yes. I like the liminal yeah. space, though, of, of dual and concurrent enrollment because it allows that space to be a both and on both sides of that line to be able to understand. And now I'm kind of wanting to play you in horse um, to, to test your <laughs> basketball skills. People can't see me. I'm not yeah. a basketball player. So I'm just telling I, you right now, I would lose. Um, actually, I, I'm curious, though, about dual and concurrent enrollment because, and uh, before we started recording, we were talking about the amazing legislative session that Colorado had around education. There is so much focus around student success strategies going on in the state. So I'm just curious how you're thinking those connect or complement each other within the state. Yes, thank you for that question, because, you know, we have a, a, a big initiative around open education resources, and that's translating essentially textbooks to online resources and class, uh, class uh, meeting notes and, and to, to all the materials um, available online. And this is a big one because we have had students who decide to not pursue a particular discipline because the textbooks in that discipline cost too much. 
And that is, that's a travesty to have students who might have potential in a particular area say, you know what, I can't afford the textbooks, so I'm going to major in this one that doesn't require as, as expensive textbooks. And so we have been great. We've saved students over $4 million in, um, in the last two years in textbook fees and, and class material fees. Um, and it has become, it's built some really great momentum in the state. And so that's one of the things that we're doing. Um, again, my Colorado journey helps students navigate some of their career decisions and, and those pathways. We've got great transfer policies between institutions. And then with this new legislation, we um, will be able to have our four-year institutions offer a very limited scope of associate's degrees to those students who have stopped out or dropped out after two, for two semesters and have earned 70 credits or more in a, in, a, uh, in a degree program. So they, they have to have earned an associate's degree, but in the past, you could go three years, three and a half years to a four-year degree. And if you, if you fail to complete that bachelor's degree, then the highest credential you have is a high school diploma. Even though you've gone three years, three and a half years, you've paid the tuition for those years, um, and you may have accrued some debt in those three years, the highest credential would still be a high school diploma. And that, I just don't think that's right. And so we are in Colorado, we're gonna be able to, um, to offer that associates to those students. Yeah, Colorado is doing some amazing things. You know, one question though is, although there's some big cities within Colorado, it's also a very rural state. And that can be very challenging for dual and concurrent enrollment, yet it's, it's across the whole state, including rural areas. So I don't know if you can talk to that or how have you helped to ensure that these programs exist specifically in those rural areas. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is, it's, it's uh, surprising me, especially for me growing up in the South Bronx. I've, I've lived in Colorado <laughs> now for 36 years, so I'm accustomed to it. But, um, but yes, the Eastern Plains, is, it's, um, and our state demographer has, has indicated that the population is going to continue to decline in some of those places but we don't want the opportunities to decline for the students. And so for instance, we just had a great partnership that was established between the entire community college system and Colorado School of Mines, one of the top engineering schools in the country. And so now any of the community colleges, if you attend, and we have many in our rural communities, if you attend and complete a degree in engineering, you have a line of sight directly to Colorado School of Mines. And so they signed an MOU, I think it was just last week, um, and, um, and so it gives, brings that opportunity to those um, rural communities. And so we still have good partnerships between the community colleges and their local high schools. And so the more we can have those kinds of articulation agreements, um, I think it gives the students in those areas hope, if you will, and like I said, a line of sight toward their highest ambition. And that I think for me personally, my goal has always been to help activate the full potential of our students and to make sure that everyone has a path to their own fulfillment and success. We're able to do that more now across the entire state because of these special units that we have. You know, what I love about that with the dual and, and concurrent enrollment, those uh, transfer agreements that you talked about, you know, to a very selective university, those concurrent enrollment and dual enrollment credits count because there's one transcript. It's not a separated transcript. You get college credit on the college transcript period, and it transfers anywhere that you have an articulated transfer agreement within the state. Yeah. So I love that that's a piece of it. So just looking ahead, I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. what do you see as the biggest challenges mm -hmm. moving forward? And, and what are your plans to address them uh, within dual and concurrent enrollment? I, I think for us, we, we do have to, and one of the things that you mentioned, to make sure that the educators, pardon me, in our rural communities, that they are equipped to offer concurrent enrollment. And so we have decided to put some, um, some grant money into that to help 
those educators who want to get certified, if you will, to be able to teach, uh, to get their master's degree in the discipline area so that they can be qualified to teach a, a concurrent enrollment or dual enrollment in their school. And so we're trying to elevate that. We're trying to, again, increase the awareness of it, the opportunities for students. You know, these are things that require partnerships, partnerships with CDHE, Department of Higher Ed, and CDE, our Department of Education. We have great relationships with them. And, um, and then, as you said earlier about blurring the lines, we have great partnerships with our Colorado Workforce Development Council. And so we have some dual enrollment programs that are certificate-based. And so students can get a certificate particular skill set and use that skill set then to get a, a job quicker. And so, um, so we, we are blurring a lot of those lines. Um, the holding forward, I think the notion that all students should have the opportunity to achieve their highest potential. And if we, as the, as the uh, I'll say the adults in the room, but the, we who have the power ought to do everything that we can to make it easy and feasible for students to actually do that. And that I think the greatest message that, that dual enrollment gives students that although you're in high school, you can put a step into your future without the cost involved by taking a dual enrollment course. And we encourage all students to do that. That is just such a great message to end on, Angie. I, I so appreciate talking to you. Um, we could talk so much so much longer about this. This is definitely a passion of mine and work that Complete College America is focused on. So for all of our listeners out there, you, you've been hearing from Dr. Angie Piccioni, the Executive Director of the Colorado Department of Higher Education, talking about Pathway to Affordability, their 2021 annual report on dual and concurrent enrollment and the impacts on Colorado. Thank you so much for, for being with us and for our listeners out there. Join in next time as we continue to have conversations between folks from Complete College America and those who are leading the field of higher education. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.